The book of Romans, we're at the 8th chapter. I'll begin reading at the 17th verse through verse 27. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we also, who have the fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are, were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Well, I invite you to have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. I don't want you believing anything because I said it. I want you believing everything because it's found in the Scriptures, and you would be well to, to see it with your own eyeballs again this morning. Help. Help. It's something that we all need. Life being what it is, and be, we being who we are, we often find ourselves in over our heads and in need of help. In fact, I should wonder if we are ever not in need of help. For life in this fallen world is full of troubles, hardships, grief, suffering, problems, and we, we're marked by weakness, a weakness that leaves us inadequate, insufficient, unable to do for ourselves, but rather in great need of help outside of ourselves. And what a wonderful thing it is when we're in such a need to receive help. Now, the Bible tells us, and we saw it in the Sunday school lesson so clearly, that when God first created Adam and Eve, when he created the first uh, human beings, they were made dependent upon God right from the start. Even in their sinless state, Adam and Eve needed help from God. They needed God. They needed information from him. They needed wisdom from him. They needed life and breath from him, health, holiness, strength, provision, protection. And if they in their sinless state needed help, well, then how much more do we in our fallen state find ourselves constantly in need of help from above? And brothers and sisters, I want to, you to see this word directly to you. In ourselves, we are weak. Even we believers, the things we're called to in the Christian life, the things we go through in this fallen world, they, they far outreach our own strength and ability to perform. 
which means we live in constant need of help. And it's our folly to to ever think otherwise. And both life and God have their ways of bringing us back to this important reality. I need help. Realizing the greatness of our need for help, how cheering then are these opening words of verse 26. You see them? In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. Before he left, Jesus promised to send another helper, another paraclete, sometimes translated counselor, comforter, helper. He's another helper, and he's come to help us in our weakness. Now, you'll remember Romans 8 is written to give believers a confident assurance of a full and final salvation, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, never will be. Indeed, that there will never ever be anything that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Romans 8 is about the assurance of our salvation. And that is built upon what God has done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he yet will do for us. And though this so great salvation is a Trinitarian salvation, by which I mean it involves God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, up to this point in the book of Romans, the focus has been on God the Father and God the Son and what they have done and are doing and will do for us. But when we come to Romans chapter 8, we suddenly have all these comments about the Holy Spirit. Only three times in the first seven chapters, but now in Romans 8, 20 times in the first 27 verses. God is clearly saying that much of our assurance of final salvation rests upon what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives all the way through till we see Christ. The Spirit is helping us in our weakness. So we're considering this morning the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's encouraging to know that God is not ignorant of our need for help. And for that very reason, he's given us the Holy Spirit. This helper who is fully divine, as much God as Jesus is God, as much God as the Father is God. The eternal, infinite, unchangeable, all-wise, omnipotent God the Spirit, as your helper. Now, that should give us assurance that he'll get us home safely to heaven. Now, sometimes on a construction site, a crew will need help, and they'll have to call the office uh, to talk to the boss or the, the manager to get the situation figured out. But if it's a, an especially big job in which help is going to be needed often, the construction manager will take his office right to the job site. We had it here when this building was built. There was a trailer, a, 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 an office uh, in that trailer right here on the property so that the needed help would be right here at hand when the questions and the problems arose. And even so, believer, the Holy Spirit is God's on-site helper in this world full of suffering, in this world that is so perplexing. God loves you so much that he sent to you this helper to set up his office, or even better than that, to set up his home in your heart, that from there he might be your helper, Indeed, an ever-present help in our time of, of trouble. And so the Holy Spirit is there in your heart, and he brings to you the very life of God into the soul of man. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. How many times were you helped this week by the Holy Spirit? I'm sure we know only a fraction of the times that he helped us this week. Now, we've already seen some of the ways he helps us mentioned here for us in chapter 8. First of all, he helps us to subdue the flesh, the sinful nature that we were born with. He, he sets us free from the law of sin and death 
free from the slavery of sin. Verse 2, he helps us to fulfill the righteous requirements of God's law, to enter into this flourishing lifestyle that God means for us, as we heard in the Sunday school. Verse 2, he helps us put to death. If through the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, we never could do that. But with his help, we can and we do. This week, you said no to sin many times. He helped you hold your tongue from getting in the last word in some argument, some discussion. He helped you turn your eyes away from some immodestly dressed woman or young lady. He, he helped you be faithful in your work when nobody else was watching. You see, in ourselves, we are weakness. And we would go down every time before temptation that's suited to our flesh. But the Holy Spirit is on site to help us to deny the flesh and to live holy lives. It's by the Holy Spirit the help of the Holy Spirit that we live holy lives. Every holy thought, desire, and action is from his production within us. And then he helps us not only to subdue the flesh. Secondly, we saw in Romans 8, verses 14 to 17, he helps us realize our sonship, our adoption as sons. And in fact, he's called the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship. And he testifies with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. Now, without him, our weakness of faith would have us ever doubting, am I really a child of God? I mean, that's such an amazing thing. Can I really be a child of God? Our faith is weak. And we would limp along crippled, wondering all of our Christian life, am I, am I, a, am I a true child of God? But the spirit is given to us to come alongside our spirit and to give us to know that, in fact, God is our father, our loving father. And he teaches us to relate to him as such, not with a spirit of dread and terror, but to run freely to him when we are in need and to cry, Abba, father, with the intimacy that we would have with him as father who cares for us. So this week, if in your time of need, you ever looked up and cried for help from the Father, that was the Spirit helping you. The Spirit's help in our weakness. And then thirdly, we see in verses 18 to 25 that the Holy Spirit helps us persevere with a confident hope in the glory that is coming. We're faced with all this suffering in this present fallen world. We face the frustration that is built into the very machinery of this creation, the, the, the decay, and, and we find it in our own bodies as well, and all the things that cause us to suffer in our own bodies, and all of this is oppressive and, and comes down upon us. But the Holy Spirit is there to give us hope, enable us to rejoice in hope, even now in the present sufferings, for what's coming Indeed, the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of what's coming. He's the appetizer for the full feast that's coming in heaven. And so appreciating the Holy Spirit's ministry in, in our lives now makes us to yearn and hunger for what's coming. It gives us a confident assurance, an eager expectation. That's hope. It's by the Spirit that we overflow with hope. And that gives us grace to go on, motivation to continue. We're so weak that facing all that we face in this life, we would quit. But there's hope. We're not without hope in Jesus Christ. So all these are blessings that the Holy Spirit, uh, the ways he's helping all those who are in Christ Jesus. He helps us in our weakness. Now for today, what is the particular weakness mentioned in our text, verses 26 and 27? We've seen the three ways he's helped us so far. Now we come to verses 26 and 27. And it's the fact that he's a helper in our weakness in prayer. And in highlighting the very subject 
of prayer. Paul and the Holy Spirit are emphasizing the importance of prayer in the believer's life. Faced as we are with our need for help in this world and in this body, we are being pointed to no small matter of how do we live in this present world. We live by prayer. We live by prayer. The Christian's vital breath Our greatest need in this world with its struggles is communion with the living God. And yet, what do we find? If ever we find our weakness and our need for help is when we turn aside to pray. We get in our closets and pray. We're we're alone with God. and, And it's then that we find we are so weak and in need of help. How hard it is to lift our hearts our spirits up to God and, and to, keep a, to keep our hearts there for any length of time, uh, to keep our minds from wandering off of him and being distracted by a thousand other cares when we come to pray. Do you see, it's our weakness. It's our weakness. And, and then there's our own unbelief to overcome in prayer, to, to really believe that the creator of heaven and earth is now listening to me. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. That's what the Bible says. But my faith is so weak, and I can forget what's going on on the other end of the, the conversation, that even as I'm speaking, he's listening with full attention. The Lord turns his ear to the hearts of his children with the attention of a mother with a sick child who's weak. And my faith is so weak to lay hold of that reality, so slow to, to believe and plead the promises of God in prayer, to take him at his word and lay that word before him. And then there's my puny thoughts of unbelief about God, little thoughts of his power and ability to, to act on my behalf, little thoughts of his love and desire to act on my behalf, low expectation in prayer. It's all part of the weakness that we feel when we come to pray. And then there's the weakness of our very desires themselves. We, we pray for holiness, but our desire for holiness is so faint that we really wonder, can it even be called a prayer? Our unfelt confession of sin, and we confess our sins, but is there any real uh, reality of sorrow for sin before our God? The coldness of heart and seeking his blessing upon the work of the gospel, his kingdom coming, his will being done, his name being exalted in Neuchatel, his name being exalted in Nixich, Montenegro. It's my heart in that. Oh, I'm so often cool. That's part of the weakness. I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? Do I really from the heart mean the things I say? And then there's our weakness to surrender our self-will in prayer. Our backwardness to say in prayer to whatever it is that we are asking. Not my will, but yours be done. Oh, how slow we come to that. And yet, that's just exposing the weakness that we have in prayer. And so if ever we need the help of the Holy Spirit, it's when we go to pray. This is our, the Christian's vital breath. And we have every reason to start by praying for help to pray, to really pray. But you know, none of these weaknesses are the thing that Paul specifically is speaking about in prayer. Those are all weaknesses we wrestle with. And yet, Paul is not addressing that specifically. In the general term, yes, that he helps us in our weakness. Yes, he helps us in all those ways. But the specific weakness in prayer that we find that makes prayer difficult It's something that is to be seen in the context of our present sufferings. And notice how he described this specific weakness in prayer in verse 26. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. That's the weakness in specific that he's addressing in our text. We do not know. It's the weakness of our ignorance, 
our lack of wisdom, our lack of understanding, our lack of information, our lack of just the limitations of our knowledge due to our humanity and perhaps even our fallenness, our sins. And so this this weakness of mind and understanding leaves us in certain trials not even knowing what we ought to pray. The situation is so complex, it's, it's so above us, so beyond us, leaving us so confused and perplexed that we don't even know what to ask from God. Do you know anything of that specific weakness in prayer? I'm sure you do. It wouldn't be in our Bibles if if this wasn't something that was part of the experience of the believer for which the Holy Spirit is on site to help us. The great apostle Paul says, "If, if you know what that's about, I do too. Notice how he includes himself in this weakness. The Spirit helps us. Not, not, you know, the Spirit's been given to you weaklings out there to help you. I don't need it. No, no. I am just as needy, Paul says, of this help of the Spirit as you are. He helps us in our weakness. Because we, that would be you and me, we do not know what to pray for as we ought and that's not just a rhetorical device that Paul's using to make them feel good. Oh, it's, it's nice to know that Pastor Paul has this problem too. No, it's reality. And it weighs in heavily with Paul. And we might have a hard time thinking that of the apostle, that he has a hard time thinking, knowing what to pray for in certain situations. We, we've read his prayers, haven't we? We've read the epistles. We've seen the wisdom and the, the, the knowledge just pour from his lips when he, he, he tells how he's praying for them and when he prays for himself. And we say, really? Paul? Not knowing what to pray for? Well, he would tell us himself, there was a time I thought I knew what I ought to pray for. But in fact, I was asking for the the wrong thing. You see, I had a painful thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it was. Was it something physical? Was it something relational in a relationship? Was it something in the church life, in his ministry? We don't know what that thorn was. But if it's a thorn, we know it was painful. We know it was suffering in his life, a situation that brought pain into his life. Indeed, he says it was a messenger from Satan sent to torment me. Satan was causing me torment. He was torturing me with this thorn. And I wanted it gone. I thought I could serve the Lord so much better without it. And so three times, and the idea is in three successive periods of prayer that Paul went before the Lord and he pleaded with him to take this thorn out of my life. But Paul says, you know, I was asking for the wrong thing. I didn't even know what I was to pray for. I was praying for the Lord to remove the very instrument that he planned and employed to keep me from getting such a big help, uh, such a big head that it would have ruined me. To keep me from being arrogant. To keep me from being conceited and puffed up with pride. Why might Paul get puffed up? Because of the surpassingly great revelations that he had been given to see. Taken up into the third heavens and been able to see things that could not be spoken. I was asking God to take away the thing that he sent to do me good. There are times we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And if he had done what I'd asked, it would have been to my own serious danger and the possible destruction of my ministry. So instead of giving me what I was pleading for, he promised to give his grace that would be sufficient for me in my suffering. He promised to have his power, the power of Christ, rest upon me, just to settle in right upon me and to be, have his power made perfect 
in my weakness. Oh, I would have missed so much if God would have answered my prayers. There are times when we, yes, you and I, don't know what to pray for as we ought. And that's the particular weakness Paul now comes to deal with. It was the same with Moses. Uh, He comes to the to the Jordan and looks over into the promised land and he's up Mount Pisgah where he could see over and see it. And and he says, I pleaded with the Lord. Let me go over and see the good land that you promised. The Lord said, that's enough. Don't speak to me anymore about this matter. You're to commission Joshua and he will lead them across. Well, there are times when we're, when we're suffering, we have desires, we, we, we're just a mess, we, we, we don't understand ourselves and, and, and the situation fully, and so we, how can we know what we need in those times? How can we know what is best, best not just for me, but for others involved, and best for the glory of God? And in these times, the trial itself is causing us grief and suffering. But then there's this additional suffering of being at a loss to know even how to pray. And the devil who loves to kick us when we're down can can pounce on us and say, what kind of Christian are you? You you don't even know how to pray. You're you're in need of help and and you're, you're just dumb. You can't speak. You don't know what to say. And so it's in such a time of great need that the Spirit of God helps us. Here's the encouragement and good cause for good cheer, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know what to pray for. Now, that word for helps us, it's just five letters in the English, but in the Greek, the original word that it's translated from, there's 17 letters. Soon, antilambanomai. That's a big word, and and. It means to help, and it's, it's a double compound. It puts a lot of prefixes onto the word ahead of time, and it carries this idea. To lay hold of along with someone. To lend a hand together with. It's that idea of soon, with, uh, that is emphasized, that uh, he comes along and helps us. So you're struggling with some heavy load, and someone comes along And they don't just say, you sit down and I'll carry the log. No, no, they get on one end and they carry along with you. That's the picture here. The only other place where this word for help is used in the New Testament is Luke 10, verse 40, when Jesus was invited to go to the home of Mary and Martha. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in his teaching. And Martha was distracted with all the preparations for the meal. And she's in a tizzy and it works her up and it's, it gets under her craw. And finally she comes to Jesus and almost blaming him. Don't you care that my sister has left all the work to me alone? Left it by myself? You see, she's under the burden alone. What does she say? Tell her to help me. There's our word. Not tell her to do it so I can just come and sit. No, I I will keep working, but tell her to come along with me and help. And that's the word that the Spirit does in our praying. He comes alongside of us and helps us in our weakness. He doesn't say, stop praying and I'll pray instead of you. He puts his shoulder to our load and helps us to pray. So there are the two involved in prayer, not just the believer alone, but now the spirit and the believer. That's why Paul says we are to always pray in the spirit, with the spirit's help. Now, how does this work? Notice what verse 26b goes on to say. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The first thing I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us along with us. We see that in the word for help. 
Believer, did you know that you have two divine intercessors? Verse 34 of Romans 8 is going to remind us that Jesus Christ, having died, was raised again and is now at the right hand of God and is making intercession for us. There's our divine intercessor, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 34. And he's doing it there in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And then there's this other intercessor who is God. It's the Holy Spirit here on earth, verses 26 and 27, who's said to be interceding for us, the saints. But the Holy Spirit's intercession is different from Christ's intercession. Christ intercedes for us outside of ourselves. There in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, he is presenting his intercession on our behalf. But the Holy Spirit is interceding within us and alongside of us in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit's intercession is not made apart from our praying. He intercedes for us along with us. Remember the meaning of the word help. It's, it's not you sit down and I'll start praying. No, he comes alongside and helps us to pray. B.B. Warfield says he's our helper, not our substitute in prayer. And so it's the Spirit interceding for us along with us here in our hearts. That's the first point. He intercedes for us along with us. Secondly, his intercession takes the form of groans. The Holy Spirit's intercession takes the form of groans. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So in a time of great trial and perplexity where you can't figure the top from the bottom, which end of the string to grab hold of, what to even ask for in prayer, oh, you, you're deeply aware that you have a need, but what that need exactly is, you cannot tell. So all you can do is groan out your request. Whether allowed or not, verse 23, just a few verses earlier, speaks of we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. So, so it may be an audible groan, but it may just be a groan in your heart that nobody but God hears. But the Spirit's intercession takes the form of groans that cannot be expressed. A, a groan is, is something of deep desire, of longing in your heart for God's help, though you're not sure what form that help should take. So the, the, the big question is, who's doing the groaning? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the believer? Whose groans are they? And I believe the text says, both, that the Holy Spirit, they are the Holy Spirit's groans in the sense that they're the groans of which he's the author. Take the Holy Spirit out of the picture and these groans wouldn't be there. These are his intercessions coming to expression in groans in the believer's heart. He creates them. He inspires them. He produces these groans within us. It's called his intercession. But his intercession, his intercessory help comes to expression, not in words, but in groans. Sighs. Just <clears throat> longings. But the groans are not only his, they're ours. Because he works them where? In our hearts. By working in us this strong desire for God's help and this, this, this strong submission. Lord, I just want you. I want your help, whatever it is. And, and that's the groan of our heart. We're not here to, to define, God, what you must do for me. I don't even know what is best for me. So it's my groaning, you see, that the Spirit has produced in me. They're birthed in us by the Spirit, but there are groans. Now, there's a parallel example of this, I believe, in the Spirit causing us to cry 
Abba, Father. We saw that earlier in Romans chapter 8. Listen to Galatians 4, 6. And the question is, who's crying Abba, Father? Okay? Because you are sons, Galatians 4, 6, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, if we had nothing other than Galatians 4, 6, we'd say, well, who's crying Abba, Father? Well, we'd say the spirit. He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls out Abba, Father. But that's not all that we do have. We have Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 15b. You receive the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You see that? So the Holy Spirit is at work producing the cry of Abba, Father, but it's we who cry, Abba, Father. By him we cry, Abba, Father. I believe that's a a, a parallel picture of what happens with these groans. Who's groaning? Well, the Spirit is producing the groans in our hearts, so they're His. He authors them. But we do the groaning. He's stirring up this desperate longing for God and and for His help in our hearts. And so by Him, by the Spirit, we groan. So these groans are the Spirit's and they are ours. Now, these groans may not seem like much to you. Indeed, you might blame yourself for being such a poor man or woman of prayer, that you can't even open your mouth and utter a petition put into words. You might think, what a failure I am in prayer. But Paul assures us that there's a whole lot more going on than what you realize with your weak and limited understanding, your weakness, your ignorance. These Holy Spirit-produced groans are real intercessions. They are real prayers. They are supernatural prayers. They're the prayers of God the Spirit. And they are understood by God the Father and, and therefore always answered. So we've seen, secondly, the the intercession takes the form of groans. And now, thirdly, we see the Father understands these groans. Verse 27, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Who's this searcher of hearts? It's God the Father. He's searching our hearts. And though the meaning behind these groans goes beyond our understanding, we know we need help, but we don't know what kind of help. The Holy Spirit has no weakness of understanding at all. He knows exactly the kind of help that we need. He knows exactly what would be best for us and others in the glory of God. He knows exactly what request would be according to the will of the Father and is thus asking for it. And so the Heavenly Father, as he examines the heart, he sees this groan and he has no trouble understanding that groan. He sees to the very bottom of it. He sees everything about it. Tears and sighs and and groans are a language the Father understands when they are produced by the Holy Spirit. The Father understands, John Stott says, the Father understands prayers which are sighed rather than said. For he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He He can discern the mind of the Spirit behind those groans, even when you and I can't. There's a one-to-one correspondence between the Holy Spirit's mind and the Heavenly Father's mind. There's not a shade of difference between the Holy Spirit's will and the Heavenly Father's will. So he understands what the Spirit is saying. You see, there's this sweet and perfect harmony between the prayer prompted by the Holy Spirit in the heart and the will of God the Father. It's the harmony of mind within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are of one mind, of one heart, one purpose, one goal, one plan, one will, 
one desire. And that means that the holy desires, that the Holy Spirit is stirring up and sending up his prayers to the Father, have a match, a perfect match with the Father's will in heaven. They're according to his will, and therefore not one such Holy Spirit produced groan ever goes unanswered or in vain. So all we may feel is our great weakness and just this overwhelming sense of of desire for God and his help in this situation. And maybe that's all we can get out is just help, help. Abba, Father, Father, help. I don't know what kind of help. I, I need you, though. Help. And we just groan out our desires before the Lord. But to the Father, they're not meaningless groans, but the very intercessions of the Holy Spirit, whose mind is expressed in those groans and is in perfect conformity with the Father's will. Now, hold your place here and turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. I think that we can get some help in understanding this passage by turning to our other intercessor. This is talking about the intercessor on earth, the Holy Spirit. Let's Consider for a moment the intercession of our other intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest there in heaven. And notice some similarities between our two intercessions going on for us. Hebrews 4 and verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the intercessor is Jesus Christ, the God-man. And he's making his intercession in heaven at the Father's right hand. Notice the place of weakness is mentioned. Again, why do we need help in prayer? Why do we need help? Because we are weak. And so it's mentioned again in verse 15. It's not like he's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So both intercessions in heaven and on earth have to do with weaknesses. Now, what is the attitude of our heavenly intercessor, Jesus, toward our weaknesses? Does he kick us? What's the matter with you, Heaney? Get with it. I've given you the command. Now, get on with it. I've given you my Bible. Get on with it. No, nothing like that. It's not like he's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He pities us in our weakness. Just like the world was subjected to frustration and decay because of Adam's sin, so we have come into this situation and and we're weak and, and he pities us in our situation. He sympathizes with us. You see, he too is a, a real human being like we are. And he was here in this suffering world and suffered far more than we do in temptations and trials. And so he's able to draw upon his experience and to have sympathy with us. Ah, oh, I see him. I see him struggling. I see him not even knowing which end is up and and not knowing what the thing to pray for is. He pities us. The only difference between his humanity and mine is that his was without sin. But he knew weakness. He knew limitations of understanding as to his human nature. He knew what it was to not have all the information given to him. And he pities us and sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. And that sympathy of our intercessor in heaven is meant to do what? Verse 16, because of that, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
It's, it's meant to encourage us to pray. Knowing our weakness and knowing his heart toward us. We're to come to our intercessor. We're to come to this king of grace sitting on a throne of grace. Who has mercy and grace to give us in our time of need. And, and unlike us, he is not limited in his knowledge now. He, he is able from his throne as the God man to look on us. I know exactly what she needs. I know exactly. Sometimes we know what we need. God, give me more love. And we ought to pray it as we did, as we sang, more love, O Christ, to thee. Sometimes we need more patience. Sometimes we need more self-control. And when we know what we need, we're to bring those requests to him. But there are times we don't know what to pray and what our need is and what the will of God is in the situation. And we just groan. And the... Heavenly intercessor sympathizes with us and says, I know what she needs. She needs this. And so he sends grace to help us. You see, the intercessory work is to help us in our time of need. And he knows just what our need is and sends just what we needed in that situation. Now back to the Holy Spirit, back here on earth. Back here in the perplexity and the limitation of our knowledge so that we don't know what to pray for. That's our weakness. Again, we're bumping into our weakness. And it's these times when we don't know what to pray for. And we ask, what is the Holy Spirit, our intercessor's attitude toward us? What, what is his attitude? We, we saw Jesus' sympathy and kindness and pity. It's no less with the Holy Spirit. He's been sent for this very reason, to help us in just such situations. He pities us in our confusion. He wants to help us. He, he does help us to pray. And like our intercessor above, he has no weakness of wisdom and knowledge and what we need and what's best and what's according to God's will. So, so, Beneath and underneath our groans, he pours out his intercession to the Father. Father, he needs this. Father, she needs this. And the Father knows the mind of the Spirit because he always intercedes in accordance with the Father's mind. So the Father's pleased. He understands, he's pleased, and he always answers. Well, let me just draw to a conclusion. First, just don't miss the sweet encouragement found in this text. It's given for that reason. Understanding the sufferings in this life. This is the fourth big category of, of encouragements that are given to us to assure us. These, these troubles in prayer, this, this struggling not knowing what to, to pray, doesn't mean you're not a child of God. It rather means that you are, you, you so want the help of God, but you don't know what to ask. John Murray points out that the Heavenly Father does not measure his answers to your prayers according to your poor words and weak understanding, but he, he measures his answers to your prayers according to the perfect wisdom and love of the Holy Spirit who is praying with you. And therefore... He gives us immeasurably more than all we ever ask or, th or think. Don't miss the largeness of God's heart toward you in this. And don't miss the largeness of the Holy Spirit's heart toward you in this. When's the last time you thank the Holy Spirit for praying with you? For offering up intercessions along with yours? when you don't even know what to pray for and maybe sometimes pray for the wrong things. Oh, these frustrations should not weaken your assurance of salvation when you realize that the Spirit is there to help us in just such times. And then let's remember that in all our praying, God is not merely listening to our words, but he's searching our hearts. John Bunyan said, when you pray, rather let your heart be without words then your words be without heart. Oh, for one real groan, real desire laid before the Father in heaven 
And that ought to encourage us to pray. That's why it's here. Don't let the difficulties of prayer keep you from prayer. You know why it's so difficult? Because it's so valuable. You have an enemy within, without, that doesn't want you to pray. And so don't don't let difficulty keep you from prayer. Let difficulty push you to pray because you know how valuable. This is my vital breath, prayer, and I have a helper, the Holy Spirit of God within to help me. So pour out your hearts to him. Tell him all, hold nothing back and... When you can't find words, then just groan out your petition to the Lord. Help. Father, help. Well, this is how we live in a state of constant need, ever spreading our need before the Lord with longings for his help, confident that the Spirit has come to live in us on sight for this very thing. If you're lost this morning... I know this about you. You have many of the same sufferings and hardships and troubles that that we have as Christians. But the difference is, is that the Christian always has someone to go to. Always has a loving father to hear us and help us. And even the Holy Spirit to help us present our request to God. Oh, what could be yours? come to Jesus Christ and trust in him. He is the great high priest because he made the one offering for sin that makes sinner and and God reconciled. Come to the Lord Jesus. Trust in his work on the cross to save you. And then this promise will be yours that you have a helper living in your heart to help you through life and its troubles and to help you even in prayer. Well, we're going to thank the Lord for the gift of God the Spirit as we conclude. Stand with me and we'll sing it from the overhead. Thanking God the Father for the gift of God the Spirit and the way that he makes intercession for us both night and day.